Okay, wait, this is the remix. The legal lens is back at it again with Angela Red Eye Wright. Go tell a friend. Unions in the labor movement, employment law, and doing the right thing. Reparations in COVID 19, voting rights. The insight is priceless. Can't be a late talk. You know we got it. Come on, let's go. It's time for the legal lens show. Come on, let's go. It's time for the legal lens show. Come on, let's go. It's time for the legal lens show. Come on, let's go. It's time for the legal lens. It's time for the legal lens. Go, 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 go. Go, 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 go. Hello, hello, KBLA Talk 1580 listeners. This is the first weekend of July 2023, and you are tuned in to the KBLA Talk 1580 Legal Lens with Angela Redock Wright Show, where we bring law to light each Saturday at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time and each Sunday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We are broadcasting to you live from Lamert Park, USA, which is part of the famous Crenshaw District of Law. Los Angeles. And guess what, folks? You hear me say it every week. Destination Crenshaw is coming and we know it's coming because our building is surrounded by lots of construction, but it's worth it. And it's worth the um, major cultural and arts project that is coming here to the Lamert Park in Crenshaw area. We are so excited about it. Many thanks to J-Star for our Legal Lens Jingle remix. You know that song gets me going every week and I hope it gets you going as well and adds to the excitement of your weekend. And if you'd like to follow J-Star and all the great work she's doing in music and entertainment you can follow her at jstar music on instagram and guess what folks you can follow kbla talk 1580 on all socials, you can see many of the other great shows that we have throughout the week, including um, the Daily Show by our, our owner and visionary, Tavis Smiley, who, by the way, recently won, uh, was listed as one of the top 100 talkers in the, the U.S. And we all know that. Tavis is one of the best interviewers and talkers, hence the award um, in the country. So congratulations to him and also congratulations to, to KBLA. We just celebrated our second year anniversary. So we are continuing to build and are excited about our future. But you can listen to Tavis throughout the week. Dominique DePrima. Thank you, Dominique. Um, and her guest host, new KBLA host, Jill, um, for having me on your show yesterday where we had a chance to break down some of the latest topics and in the law and employment law, which is my specialty. So thank you so much. But if you follow us on KBLA Talk 1580 on all socials, you can hear about our daily shows and other work that we are doing to lift up our communities. And you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at I am Angela Redock Wright. And I would love for you to do so because that's our way of communicating uh, throughout the week in between shows. It gives you a chance to tell me what shows are resonating with you, what guests are resonating with you, what topics are on your mind. Um, the mission of this show is to bring law to light, and we don't take that lightly. Our goal is really to bring you legal topics and guests and policy topics that matter to you. You know, we could sit here and have law school classes and theoretical classes, but that's not the goal here. The goal is to bring you legal topics, policy topics that matter to you. So please engage with us on social at I am Angela Redock Wright so we can hear what's on your mind and today we are live and so what that means is you can actually give us a call on our kbla talk 
1580 power lines, which are 1-800-920-1580. That's 1-800-920-1580. I encourage you to get near your cell phone, your landline if you still have one, and prepare to give us a call because we have an amazing guest today with us, a top attorney um, that leads in criminal law, civil rights law, personal injury and consumer law. He, if you have questions about anything that may be going on in your life, legally your life or a family member's life or a friend's life, this is the person you want to talk to. You want to make a few minutes today to give us a call at 1-800-920-1580 because we have live with us attorney Stephen King, um, someone I have known. Um, Stephen, I don't want to date us too much, but I feel like it's probably been about 20 years. I, You may not remember this, but I first met you. Um, you were... Uh, at, I think you were at the barber's salon or barber's and my hairstylist at the time was in that same location and you came in and she's like, hey, he's a top criminal attorney. You should know him. And from that day, I got your number and had you on speed dial every since as one of the go to attorneys that I refer people to for initially for criminal matters, but now for civil rights, personal injury consumer, um, because you do all the types of law that really matter to our community. So that's who we have on the line. He's also president of the John M. Langston Bar Association and does so much to impact our communities in a positive way. So give us a call so you can talk to him. I'll be formally introducing him in our next segment. But before we bring him in, I just want to highlight a few things in history, legal history, and a little bit of news from the week. And Attorney King, as you're listening in, if there's anything that touches your spirit or your soul <laughs> based on the news this week, definitely look forward to your weighing in. But, um, this is again, it's the first weekend of July and significantly um, this is around the time every year that the U.S. Supreme Court issues its decisions and that certain laws pass both at the federal and state level and take effect. So June 29th. Um, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that the five uh, with a five four decision that the death penalty was cruel and unusual punishment, which violated the 18th, the Eighth Amendment. And at that time, when they made that ruling, blacks and members of other minority groups constituted 483 of the 600 persons awaiting execution. So that um that court ruling by the U.S. Supreme Court was obviously quite significant for our community. And we know that in contrast to rulings like that, this week we saw the U.S. Supreme Court issue rulings that will, you know, in my opinion, definitely impact our community, our black community and other uh, people of color in a significant way by um, passing um, determining that affirmative action, the use of affirmative action is no longer allowed in college admissions. They also overruled the Biden um, executive order, which allowed for um, students to apply, um, students, current students, uh, former college students to apply for um relief from their student loan debt. And we know that student loan debt weighs down so many people and makes it difficult for many people to move forward and work and have a life, buy a house, etc. So that unfortunately was overturned as well. But it's good to know that in history, we have some shining light. And I hope we'll get back to those moments where the court and our legislatures are issuing decisions that help um, build up our communities and not bring down our communities. Also, July 2nd, 1964, 
um, the Civil Rights Act of 1964 was passed. And that, too, was a shining light um, in our U.S. history. And particularly as we celebrate Independence Day this weekend, that is a highlight of of something that really celebrates the good in America and not what we're seeing lately in terms of those things that that really make us question America and its values, especially its values now. Um, Another great highlight is July 2nd, 1908, um, the first black Supreme Court justice was appointed, Thurgood Marshall, and we know he did amazing work on the court and amazing work as as an attorney. And so we certainly celebrate his life today. In contrast, July 1st, 1991, Clarence Thomas was nominated to the U.S. Supreme Court by President George Bush. And we know where that story is ends and hopefully it will end sooner than later. So that's just some highlights from the news um, in history this week. Um, But to help us dissect some of those topics and also to talk about recent trends in civil rights and other areas of law, today we welcome leading attorney, top attorney, someone I count a good friend, attorney Stephen King um, is on the line and he will be sharing gems of information with us. So don't turn that dial. We have a lot of good information to share with you today. And guess what, folks? You're tuned into KBLA Talk 1580. And as always, we have a lot to talk about. Yes, yes. And folks, that is Tasha Cobb Leonard with the... National Black Anthem, Lift Every Voice and Sing. I know this weekend we are celebrating Independence Day for America, but it just seems right that we would sing Lift Every Voice and Sing this weekend as opposed to some other anthems. And um, I have to tell you folks, yesterday I was really, really sad all day. And so I was just kind of playing songs um, throughout the day that would lift my spirits and looking for a playlist for today that hopefully will lift your spirits as well as we are still reckoning with the news that we've gotten legally and through our legislature and so forth this week. So thank you, Tasha Cobb, for that great rendering of Lift Every Voice and Sing. And it's a great lead in to our guest today, who is attorney Stephen King. And this month of July, I'm calling it Freedom July. And that I put that in quotes, of course. Um, but I'm, we're celebrating freedom by celebrating African-American attorneys and African-American owned law firms and solopreneurs that are out there making a difference in our communities. And following squarely within that is our guest today, attorney Stephen Keene. Are you on the line? How are you this morning? Oh, I'm doing great, Angela. Thanks so much. Thank you. It's so good to hear your voice. And thank you so much for um, committing to be here this morning. I know you're busy with your practice, with all the great work you do in the community, leading our John M. Langston Bar Association. So I am just honored that that you would take a few minutes out to to speak with me and our listeners this morning. Let me just give them a little um, background about you. There's so many great things to tell. I'm going to give some highlights. Attorney Stephen King, spelled S-T-E-P, H-E-N, is a passionate, aggressive, and seasoned trial lawyer who practices in the areas of criminal law, which is how I first came to know him, civil rights, and civil litigation. He has tried over 100 jury trials to verdict with an unparalleled record of victories. And I emphasize that because in this day and age, um, 
you know, many grow up going to law school thinking they're going to be Perry Mason in trial and court every day. But unfortunately, that's just not the case. Ninety um, percent of lawyers never really go to go to trial. So when we have someone like Attorney King in, in our midst who actually tries cases, who loves trying cases, who is considered a lead trial attorney, um, it's just amazing to have someone like that in our presence. Just to highlight a couple of his big verdicts, in 2015, Stephen served as a lead trial lawyer on a team of lawyers that obtained a record-setting $40 million non-economic um, wrongful death verdict in Riverside County. And similarly, in 2015, he had big victories against the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department, as well as the Los Angeles County Department of Children and Family Services. He's such an amazing trial lawyer that he's on the team of instructors with the Jerry Spence Trial Lawyer Academy. And Jerry Spence is also a well-regarded and leading trial attorney. So to be a part of that is an amazing honor for Stephen. He currently serves as the president of the John and Langston Bar Association, of which I'm a proud lifetime member member. Um, and that's the African American or the Black Bar Association, one of them, one of two here in Los Angeles. And so we are proud to welcome you, um, Attorney King, and look forward to having our listeners get to know you, uh, know about you a little bit better. So in addition to what I've shared, tell us a little bit about your background and how you became an attorney, a trial attorney, and got on this path of doing the work that really impacts and uplifts our communities. Yeah, thanks, Angela. Um, and I don't know if you know this. I'm originally from Monrovia, Liberia, West Africa. I did not know and, that. Uh, yeah, like grew up so, there. You grew up there. Yeah, okay. I came when I was when when I was ten years old. Okay. Yeah, there was a civil war, a military takeover, mm-hmm. and I had to flee flee the country. You know, um, mm-hmm. and and I came to the and it was just it, in my perspective, it was sort of an abuse of power, mm-hmm. and so. I always saw it as standing up for injustice um, where police or the government abused their power, abused their position of authority. Mm -hmm. So what occurred is once I got here um, and I saw the the discrimination and um, what was going on in our society, and I decided I wanted to stand up. I wanted to do civil rights and hold the police accountable for abuse of power. And that's really how I got into civil rights law. Really, I did not know that about your background. So thank you for for bringing that to, to my attention. And that that's actually quite significant. I have some friends that um, their dad is from Liberia and his brothers and sisters and have a similar story. So um, that's great to hear. So tell us about, what's the name of your law firm and what are your, your practice areas? Yeah, so the name of my law firm is King's Justice Law. Mm-hmm. And I do civil rights. Uh, personal injury and criminal law. Um, some things that are going on, and I'm sure you're aware of that, uh, we're dealing with qualified immunity. It's, it's, it's a difficult topic mm-hmm. um, when we're dealing with civil rights cases. Um, and, and essentially, you know, it's way back to, um, it's actually at the beginning of the uh, the American Civil Rights, uh, Civil War, uh, Ku Klux Klan Act, 1971, and which allowed individuals to bring lawsuits against the government for violations of their constitutional rights. Mm-hmm. So the you know either Fourth Amendment, Fourteenth Amendment, um, it it allowed citizens to say you know that my constitutional rights are being violated. What's happened is within maybe about a hundred years following that, we have something that's called qualified immunity. Mm-hmm. So 
essentially what the Supreme Court is saying is that, well, how does this officer know that his actions are wrong under the law? Mm-hmm. And so it's the, the difficult part we're having with that is that the judges get to determine that, and it's not the legislator that's determining that. And so it allows the judges all the discretion as opposed to having some act of Congress mm. initiate and what's going on with the law. Okay. Um, and are you working on this with attorneys like um, attorney Jim D. Simone? He's, he's come in and talked about qualified immunity along with um, state Senator Steve Bradford. Is that sort of in the same vein you all are working on kind of a, the same goal here? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, okay. So let's break that down because it's a difficult concept to to understand. Um, So let's break it down for our listeners. What's kind of an everyday example of where qualified immunity might arise? So you're an individual, you're wanting to sue the the government, and how does this issue arise? Okay. Yeah, you filed a lawsuit, and essentially what happens, you say, well, you know, I have an officer here. Um, who's shot an individual, and they essentially are saying whether or not the officer should have known that shooting this individual is a violation of some clearly established principle. Mm-hmm. Well, you say, well, if he's unarmed, he has his hands up, he's running away from the officer, how is that not something that it's, it's clearly established? Mm-hmm. So what they're doing, they're, they're asking that, something in the law that has already notified an officer that if you recall, if you, if you respond to a call where there's a dog barking, somebody has a water hose, they reach down to pick up the water hose, you think it's a gun, you shoot them, it wasn't a gun, you say, well, that's, it's, it's established that this person wasn't violating a crime, so therefore the officer should be held accountable for that action. What they're actually saying is, well, counsel, can you show us a case where there was a dog barking, the officer responded, Mm -hmm. there was a water hose, down to pick up the water hose, and he gets shot, you know, by the officer? Mm -hmm. He says, well, no, not every two set of circumstances are exactly the same. Mm -hmm. And that's what we learned in law school, right? We learned stare decisis, Mm -hmm. which uh, every case builds upon each other. Mm -hmm. And so... It's it's almost like they're allowing uh, a, a windfall to exist because they're saying unless you can show that this officer knew the exact set of circumstance that would constitute him violating the law, we're not going to make him responsible for his actions. Mm-hmm. And so what we're asking for accountability, we're asking for the officers to be held responsible for their actions. Mm-hmm. The judge giving the officers an out by saying. Unless you can show that the same circumstance happened before and the officer should have known his actions were wrong, we're going to give him an out. Mm. And, and so it makes it very difficult for us. One thing that's important, Angela, though, mm-hmm. is this applies only to federal court. It okay. doesn't apply in state court. Okay. So a lot of times we act in federal court and then bring it back down to state court. If we think we have a judge who's not going to allow us to pursue our claim. Wow. So does this qualified immunity, does this arise in some of the top civil rights cases, police abuse cases we see, like the George Floyd cases and cases along those lines? They do. They okay. do. In every single case okay. federal court. And like I mentioned, Jim D. Simone, Carl Douglas. I mean, we all, Adele Galipo, we all face these similar issues. 
mm. in court. What I do as a practical matter is I'll file the case in federal court, and then if I have to, I'll dismiss my federal claims and go down to state court. Interesting, interesting. And so what's, you said if there's a battle currently with the courts, and but it really should be a legislative issue. Is the legislature taking on this issue and trying to bring the power within the legislature? Unfortunately, they're not. Um, Unfortunately. Okay, okay. So are you currently working on any civil rights cases that you're inspired by and, and feeling charged by? Yeah, you know, I, I have a lot of cases now that involve mental health issues. Mm. Um, but yeah, following the pandemic, it's really, I mean, people have been very, very troubled. Um, and so you have officers that are responding and not considering the fact that someone may be mentally ill. Mm. And what they really should do is kind of preserve the scene and bring in mental health specialists to mm. talk to individuals. I have a case that just occurred out of San Diego where an individual, he had a gun. It was a pellet gun, mm -hmm. so it wasn't a real gun. He was foaming at the mouth, rocking back and forth, fortunately, and he was on a trolley. And so everyone gets off the trolley. He's there by himself, and he's rocking back and forth. Mm -hmm. But the officer, rather than trying to talk him and calm him down out of the situation, within six seconds, they give him six different commands, mm -hmm. which, in my opinion confused him and if you look at their own policies and procedures it says do not yell at them do not point gun at them do not give them commands mm -hmm. they could be hearing voices in their heads etc mm -hmm. and they ended up shooting the individual because he was thinking that the officer was asking for the weapon but when he took the weapon out obviously the officer then became in fear for his safety and mm -hmm. shot him mm -hmm. and so happening is that these officers are not utilizing all the resources that have been afforded to them. Mm -hmm. and That's, go, ahead. go ahead. And I was going to say, like, what do you, I mean, just every, almost every day in the news now, we hear, you know, as you said, particularly of these cases involving someone having a mental health crisis, um, just this week, the woman in San Antonio, um, I don't know if it happened this week, but it was in the news this week, the woman in San Antonio that was having a, a mental health crisis and the police um, murdered her. Um, it wasn't mm -hmm. involving police, but we know the guy in, in New York who put um, the Michael Jackson um, impersonator that we've all seen on the news and so forth in a chokehold, you know, but focusing on the police specifically, it seems that with so many cases being in the news and officers at least being tried, even if they're not, you know, ultimately, you know, um, convicted, that it would put them on notice more to, to kind of stop this behavior and to use the training that these departments say that they're training them on. What's, what's the disconnect here, Steve? Well, there's a lack of enforcement, mm -hmm. you know, in essence, um, they have these training policies, but they don't require that these officers actually attend the training. It's discretion. Oh, really? Oh and my police, goodness. Yeah. Okay. Police, yeah. Police have too much discretion mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and that's what really needs to be laid out. I understand that when you're talking about use of force continual, meaning, you know, if they really feel their life is in danger and they choose um, option A, option B, option C, that I understand. Mm -hmm. But it's it's discretionary as to whether or not they call in these additional teams, whether or not they take the training that's offered to them. Um, and so there, there's just really a lack of enforcement, mm -hmm. I think is the way I would answer 
Wow. So we, what's the status of your San Diego case? What, what stage is it in? So it just started. I filed the government claim. Okay. So I'm going to be filing the law thereafter. My theory there is that they should have brought in the PERT team. They should have brought in um, the specialists in order to talk to my client and allow him um, to sort of surrender himself as opposed to uh, putting him in a situation where he needed his own life and mm-hmm. he needed the life of the Wow. Um, As I told you, Attorney Stephen Keene is on the front line of issues and cases that matter. We'll certainly be following and wanting to hear more about his San Diego trolley case as it develops and wishing him well. So stay tuned, folks. Um, He's here with us the whole hour. Remember, you can give us a call at 1-800-920-1580. You're tuned into KBLA Talk 1580, and we have a lot to talk about. Okay, folks, it's been a tough week, and that's Ty Tribbett reminding us that we are going to be all right. And actually, he says, we going to be all right. Uh, so um, in our first half hour, we had attorney Stephen King join us. He is the uh, president of the Langs- John and Langston Bar Association, our Black Bar Association here, one of them in Los Angeles. And um, he also is a leading civil rights and criminal law attorney. He unfortunately um, has a, a family emergency right now so had to to jump off and can't finish out the hour with us Um, but we uh, we're not deterred Um, you know I'm a lawyer and I'm always prepared to talk about legal issues so I I definitely want to extend the request that if anybody has any questions about the law want to talk about what happened with the U.S. Supreme Court this week or any other issues particularly in the area of employment law which is my specialty I actually I don't represent clients, but um, I'm a mediator and I help client uh, parties to resolve their issues through the mediation process. So I'm happy to talk to you about any employment issues or other legal issues, but I may not be, you know, able to answer all your questions, but happy to do that. But again, you know, thank you to Attorney King for for joining in and um, definitely we're sending prayers to you um, in the situation you're dealing with now. So thank you and we look forward to to having you back. So let me um, kind of this week, this month, we're calling Freedom Month, where we are acknowledging and celebrating um, African American owned law firms, um, black solopreneurs, um, and those who are doing great work on behalf of our communities. And so over the next three weeks, we'll have um, three other leading law firms and attorneys that are doing that that work. Um, But kind of rooted, helping to frame and root our discussion, obviously, you know, this weekend is Independence Weekend in the U.S. And so as I thought about this issue of freedom and independence, um, what came to mind is, you know, freedom, true freedom is about sort of carving your own path. And so that's why I wanted to feature law firms um, that have carved their own path and that are are shaping their own future in their own way. And so that that's why we're focusing on that. But also, you know, when the US Supreme Court decisions came out this weekend, um, it also put on my mind that um, we need to talk to some of our leading attorneys about these issues. And so just to kind of break those topics down a little bit more, um, what happened, um, the U.S., this is the season where the U.S. Supreme Court issues its, you know, rulings on the court cases that it's taken up in this season. And um, 
they first came out on Thursday um, with their decision on affirmative action. Um, and, you know, earlier this year, they also came out with their decision on um, Roe v. Wade overruling um, Roe v. Wade and a long history of cases dealing with reproductive rights, the rights of women and reproductive rights. So they again, you know, struck down long history of case law and legislation dealing with affirmative action. Affirmative action was first passed in 1976 with the intent of trying to level the playing field um, for uh, individuals in higher education. And I have to say that, you know, I myself, you've seen many um, leading African American um, leaders, elected officials, politicians, news um, analysts, etc., all in the news this week saying that many of us, um, including, including Joy Reid, who was on MSNBC, she has a pretty compelling statement that she um, issued on this. Um, I was, um, a beneficiary of affirmative action. I went to law school at UCLA School of Law, which is a public university here in California. And up until 2000, I, no, oh, I'm dating myself, up until 1995, had in place an affirmative action program that allowed the law school to um, consider race and other factors in terms of recruiting students into school. And so I benefited from that. And in fact, my class, 19, the class of 1995, we were the last class to be admitted to UCLA under the prior um, affirmative action laws. And then, of course, Proposition 209 passed in 1996, and that was the end of that. But just to give you an example, um, in law school, there's three classes, 1Ls, 2Ls, and 3Ls. Um, within our in all three classes at the time, we had about 100 black students out of, say, a law school of 16, 1700 people. So that percentage is actually pretty small compared to the overall number. Um, and in my class, I was probably, you know, 20 to 30 African-American students. And we all had excelled academically It all done well in our undergraduates. Um, but, you know, without um, consideration of other factors um, that would qualify us for law school possibly would not have been admitted. And then in that one year after Prop 209 passed, the numbers went from 100 to literally like two admitted African-American law students in, in the entire law school. And the school has been struggling since then to give back to those um, pre um affirmative action numbers. And um, that's significant because when we think about, there are all sorts of studies that talk about the legal issues that uh, people of color and African-Americans face in our communities and not having enough lawyers. While we have great organizations like John and Langston Bar Association, Black Women Lawyers of Los Angeles, we're all doing our part. California Association of Black Lawyers, the National Bar Association, all doing our parts to try to level the playing field and get, you know, new African-American lawyers into the fold by virtue of the fact that, you know, public schools, schools that our tax dollars are paying for can no longer um, consider factors that level the playing field. Um, it, it not only has a domino effect on just people becoming lawyers, but it has a domino effect on, you know, being able to support our communities, you know, African-American lawyers are the first to be on the front lines to really handle the cases that others may not want to handle. So, you know, that's just a personal example of, of the impact of the Supreme Court ruling. 
And um, I think significantly, Joy Reid said it best, you know, and many others that the ruling didn't consider all the other things that these schools can consider, like legacy in terms of letting people, admitting people to school. So, you know, it's, it's you know, it's devastating, to be honest, personally, and um, it's very sad to see the direction in which this country is going and to see issues like this politicized so much. So I just thought, you know, in light of that, I give you a little personal insights as to how this plays out. And and guess what? I and so many others went on to become successful lawyers. But what if we didn't have that opportunity? What if so many will not have that opportunity to show how they overcome odds and how they can compete in the best of places. So um you know, just giving you that personal insight. We also see that we have a couple of callers on the line. Kamal, did, did we lose our callers? Okay. Uh, I saw that Nikki from Atlanta was on the line. Nikki, if you're able to give us a call back, we would definitely love to, to hear and, and see your question. Um, and I also encourage others to give us a call at 1-800-920-1580. So we're just having an open dialogue about some of the things that happened in the news this week and also welcoming your questions around those things in the news and especially any questions you may have around employment issues. Um, So give us a call at 1-800-920-1580 on our KBLA Talk 15 power lines. Uh, We still have a lot to talk about, folks. Hot button political, economic, social, and cultural issues as seen through a legal lens. Now back to Angela Reddick Wright. One of my new favorite songs, All My Life by J. Cole and Little Dirk. I'd like to thank Pastor Reginald Sharp of the Fellowship Baptist Church of Chicago, who's doing a series on songs this summer uh, for introducing me to that song. It's a secular song, uh, worldly song, but he has a sermon called All My Life, and it speaks to uh, in part, uh, all our lives as people of color, African-Americans, we've been dealing with challenges, but guess what? We are overcomers. And so today on our playlist, we've been playing songs about overcoming and that up- uplift us. So thank you, J. Cole. Thank you, Pastor Sharp, for that song, All My Life. Um, th- uh, again, thank you to Attorney King, um, who was on the line with, uh, with us earlier. And his colleague um, from the John M. Langston Bar Association, Melvin Felton, will be joining us in just a second to tell us a little bit more about John M. Langston. But before we come to you, Melvin, and thank you for calling in, uh, we have two callers uh, with quick comments. Um, Nikki from Atlanta. Hi, I just wanted to to echo your sentiment about how we have um, all African-Americans and whites have really benefited from affirmative action. Because had it not been for affirmative action, my undergrad experience would have been very different, um, not just for me as a black woman, but for my you know, team of white friends who had never interacted with uh, black people in their education before then. And so I think affirmative action, well, anyway, what I called to ask was what are your thoughts about how this ruling of the Supreme Court is going to look in an employment situation going forward. Um, Thank you, Nikki. Excellent question. And um, you're right. So it's not just about 
giving African-Americans and others an opportunity is giving the majority an opportunity to engage with people that they would not normally engage with. And that's what makes the undergraduate experience when done right so rich and so special. So thank you for that comment. I definitely think this is going to unfortunately roll over into the workplace. Um, You know, many companies and organizations post-George Floyd implemented um, Um, diversity, equity, and inclusion programs and other programs to try to, you know, help sensitize the workplace. Um, And we're already hearing news now that many of these companies have downsized their programs. Why? Because they feel like they can because the political climate, the cultural climate has changed in a direction where they no longer feel accountable to um, right-sizing the workplace. So I definitely think it's going to roll over. And there are companies that also saying they're still going to go forward, like Apple and Google and so forth. So it's great to see that such big companies still plan to lead the effort because, you know, when they speak, um, their dollars and their, their, their voices matter. So it remains to be seen, but I unfortunately think we're in for a serious ride for the next few years, unfortunately. Thank you, Nikki. Um, Charles from Sacramento, what's your question or comment? Uh, yes. Uh, yeah, there's a couple of things. First of all, you, you mentioned legacy. Well, you know, Judge Kavanaugh was a legacy. His grandfather went to Yale. But he, he lied about it under oath. And so he shouldn't even be able to judge on this case. And I think that's unfair that legacy can get in. 43% of uh, the Harvard class got in because of legacy or who they knew or different things like that, right? Yes, yes. And that's, it's just, that's just totally unfair. So I think what has to happen is that, first of all, we need to point out the current state. Like, for instance, here in California, hate crimes against black people just went up 27%. You got another study that showed a a black child uh, is three times more likely to die if he's treated at birth by a white doctor than if he's treated by a black doctor. Three times as likely to die. So the state of racism is terrible. Now, if this kind of law passes, guess what? We're going to have less doctors. Right. Less lawyers, less other professionals. Thank you, Charles. Thank you. Those are great comments. And you hit the nail on the head. You know, the elephant in the room is, you know, the the Supreme Court's decision focused on race, but it didn't focus on all the other factors that are considered when individuals are admitted to college and how that plays out, as you said, in so many other areas of our society. So, as I said, I think we got to dig in. We're in for um a tough ride the next few years. Um, we got to, you know, this this proves, if nothing else, that elections matter, who we elect matter. So, you know, folks, we got to gear up for 2024. Um, let's bring in our guest, special guest, um, Melvin Felton, attorney Melvin Felton. Uh, again, one of my favorite attorneys, uh, someone that I have so much respect for. Melvin is a partner with the law firm Sanders Roberts, a, another African-American-owned firm here in Los Angeles that we look forward to having on the show. And um, he's also on the executive board of the John M. Langston Bar Association. And he's here to tell us a little bit more about John M. Langston and its significance, particularly in light of this week and just overall where we are in our, our culture and our communities. Good morning, Melvin. How are you? Good morning, Angela. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you can hear me okay. I can. I have to apologize. I, I've got my uh, baby girl in my arms, Maren, 
and and uh, I can't predict what she will do. Uh, right? <laughs> That's we, nothing we, to we apologize for. That's nothing to be super proud of. Uh, you're you're a shining example. That, that's right. So um, I am uh, the president-elect of the John M. Langston Bar Association of Los Angeles. Uh, my term will begin uh, in January. Uh, however, I'm, I'm sort of stepping in the stead of our president, Stephen King, who I believe you just had on. Um, and our, <clears throat> excuse me, our theme this year is reigniting our purpose and championing service. Uh, our mission is to empower leadership, advance the membership development of our members, and promote the administration of justice in the black community and the community at large. Uh, when it comes to, so, so our focus primarily is on the black legal community in and around Los Angeles County. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and part of that is, you know, if you're already a lawyer, this is an association for you. Uh, or if you would like to become a lawyer, mm-hmm. and I say lawyer, loosely, that includes judges, law professors, uh, academics, etc. But if you would like to become a lawyer, we give scholarships. I think last year we gave over 150,000 in scholarships to law students. Yes, right? amazing. So mm-hmm. We are we are committed to focusing on increasing and maintaining the pipeline of black lawyers, future constituents for ourselves. And you know, I, I heard earlier. Forgive me, I didn't get to hear all of the show, but I heard you know a bit of the. Um, the focus uh, being on you know, some of the Supreme Court decisions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'll say this. Uh, we, you know, we can't really control what the Supreme Court does, how they rule, and, you know, these overall sort of seismic changes that are going on. Um, you know, there's not a lot that we, you know, individually we can advocate, we can do all these things, but ultimately – or someone else's decision, right? The justice's decisions. What we can do, what we, you know, more so are focused on currently as a bar association Mm -hmm. is just that, is increasing the pipeline, is, you know, spreading awareness. I know growing up, um, I grew up in Gary, Indiana, by the way, mm. uh, a little, <laughs> little ways away from that. And everybody's but... like, did you know the Jacksons? <laughs> you're you're too young. <laughs> and and by so, the way, Attorney Fulton, we have about 30 seconds left, so we're definitely going to need to re-invite you and Langston back on. But uh, say what you're going to say and then maybe tell us how we can follow the work of Langston, and then I'll be in touch about bringing you back. Absolutely. So I, I'm saying all that to say this. Uh, you know, we're focused and committed on raising the next crop of attorneys, uh, spreading awareness, because it's hard to touch what you can't see. Yes. And uh, that's, that's our job. And how so, can folks follow you. the work of Langston, John and Langston Bar Association? Uh, we're on the web at langstonbar.org, L-A-N-G-S-T-O-N-B-A-R.org. Excellent. Thank you so much. Langston also hosts a number of community legal clinics, so we'll be keeping you up to date on those as they happen throughout the year. Thank you so much for tuning in to KBLA Talk 1580 and for rolling with us today as we kind of had some challenges. But up next, we have Talk Tech to Me with Cassie Betts. You do not want to miss her show. She's amazing. And next week, we will continue with Freedom July, where we are featuring some of the top African-American-owned firms and solopreneurs.
um, in our country and those who have carved their own paths and opportunities toward freedom. Until next time, folks, have a great weekend. Smile, show some, some someone love. And um, tune in next week to KBLA Talk 1580. This is The Legal Lens with Angela Redock.